Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Talent management leaders are awesome, in my humble opinion. Seriously, you really are. Unfortunately, you are also not infallible. Like other humans, you make mistakes. Now, there's no shame in making mistakes. It's how we learn a lot of the time. But what if you could avoid some of the most common mistakes in the first place? What if you could course correct right now? In today's solo episode, I'm revealing three of the most common mistakes I've observed talent leaders make, or that I've made myself. So let's get rolling. Mistake number one, overusing HR and talent speak with stakeholders. For example, we will use design thinking to develop and embed this employee enablement program in order to cultivate an authentic culture of learning. Okay, I even tripped over that one. Now, don't get me wrong. If you said this to a talent peer, they'd likely have a general idea of what you're getting at. And so would leaders in some other departments. But not all of them. For many, their eyes are going to glaze over and they'll tune out what they see as vague, fluffy HR speak. And I know you don't like that word fluffy, either do I. So let's take another example with this, This just break it down a bit. The, the authentic culture of learning. For you, authentic culture of learning may mean learning is embraced and embedded throughout the organization. And it's where employees learn on the job, in courses, through mentoring, they're open to making mistakes, etc. For the stakeholder without a background in talent, though, it might simply mean that, hey, you're going to offer more formal training than before. So what is the antidote? Okay, it's get clear on what your clients and stakeholders envision. Ask, if we were to develop something, what would be different as a result? And then use their language when discussing potential solutions. This is not about dumbing things down or not trusting your audience's intelligence. It's really about tailoring your communication based on their point of view as a starting point, not yours, so that you can get clarity and buy-in more quickly and effectively. So what's a recent favorite term or phrase you found yourself using a lot? Write it down and then ask yourself, okay, how would this land with me if I were this person or group? given their perspective and context. Okay, let's move on to mistake number two, falling in love with your own solutions too early. So have you ever worked really, really hard on a program design or strategy only to present it to your senior leader or a stakeholder and find out that it wasn't even close to what they wanted? You maybe even exclaimed to a coworker or spouse, all of my work out the window. He doesn't even know what he wants. If you're like me and every one of my clients, the answer is yes, you have experienced this, even if it was a long time ago. 
It's really easy to blame the boss or the stakeholder and tell ourselves that they're impossible and they have no clue what they want. We whine, in fact, that they know only what they do not want. But what if that's a good thing? What if starting with what clients do not want is a normal, helpful part of your needs analysis and engagement process? Maybe it's a way to start to unlock what they really need and want. So here's an approach that I know works. Ask them what they want and what they do not want. Make it part of your process. Get them to express very specifically what will be different as a result of this program they want you to put in place. Go away, brainstorm, come up with a couple of options and write them up high level. Now, important, resist the urge at this point to spend too much time here designing and developing and falling in love with your idea, your model, your solution. Now, go back with your high level write up, go back to your stakeholder and get some feedback. Ask how well do these options align with the outcomes you're wanting. And now embrace the iteration. Expect some back and forth as both parties, you and them, get the clarity you need to ensure a relevant and really effective solution. I invite you to think about some other ways you can help yourself avoid falling in love with your solutions too early. All right, here we are arriving at mistake number three, which is feeling defensive when your programs expire. So let me explain. Have you ever poured your heart and soul into the development and implementation of a major talent program? I'm hearing some nods, (laughs) imagining them. Have you ever felt the glow of feedback from leaders and employees alike telling you how amazing that program is? Of course you have. Have you ever felt sad and maybe resentful when someone suggests that that same program needs a quote unquote refresh? You're not alone. Many of my clients have felt put off when someone, such as, you know, a new team member or a senior leader, suggests that a really great program that you had a hand in creating is no longer as relevant or effective. And this put-off emotion, it's exacerbated when the resource or program in question is a toddler, meaning it's under about three years old. Sometimes it's not even a person who suggests that a program needs a refresh. It's the data showing up that the uptake is not there. People simply aren't using the resource anymore. Maybe they never did, or they're not enrolling in the workshops. So what's a talent management leader worth his or her salt to do? Here's the answer. Adjust and move on. Now, you might say, well, Lisa, easier said than done. And I know I've been there. That's why. I offer you this advice. Acknowledge that the business you operate in is a fluid, changeable thing, and that's okay. Release your expectations that programs should have a particular shelf life. That is, that they should last at least two years or three years, five even. All of our work has a shelf life, period, and that's okay too. Sometimes you'll even get a chance down the road to pull that work back off the shelf and try it again in a new context where it feels fresh again. So in the meantime, I I encourage you to swim with that current, not against it. Here's Here's a question to ponder. What helps you remember to adjust instead of defend? So there you have it. Three common 
overcomable mistakes that talent leaders make from time to time. One, overusing HR or talent speak with stakeholders. Two, falling in love with your own solution too early. And three, feeling defensive when your programs expire. Feel free to email me with some other mistakes you've noticed along your journey. I'm, I'm, I've got a collection now, so stay tuned. There'll be more to come, I'm sure. My hope is that today you've gotten some food for thought to help you continue making such an important impact on your organizations and, and all the people who depend on you for support with their growth and development. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.